Welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, where we get to know creative, improvising, local music people. I'm your host and the founder of Rhythm Changes, Will Chernoff. Today, we tackle three classic musician problems. Being too hard on yourself, work, time, balance, and avoiding burnout. We also shout out one of our favorite local jazz guitarists, and I throw in one more shout out towards the end to one of my biggest mentors of all time. So please stick around for that. and Come enjoy a relaxing conversation between two jazz friends and collaborators. Our guest today is a young vocalist, multi-instrumentalist, arranger, and educator. He released his first album titled The Boy Next Door in 2019, which got funding from Creative BC and plenty of CBC Radio Airplay. On top of that, he's published several arrangements for vocal jazz ensembles, and when he does that, he sings, produces the recording, and the video. He holds a Bachelor's of Music and Education, graduating from Catalano University and training at the University of British Columbia. You can find him on Facebook and Instagram at Will C-L-E-M Music. I'm lucky to have him on my newest single, a song called Don't Miss Me, which he sang and co-wrote. But more than that, I'm lucky to share a first name and last initial with him. So we welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Will Clements. Hello! Oh my goodness, that was the hypest intro. You weren't kidding. That was a serious intro. <laughs> How are you, my friend? I'm good. You know, I had um, I had a bit of a frustrating week, as we spoke to a, a bit about before, about just trying to get some new new projects on the road. But I'm doing much better now that some of those hiccups are done with, and uh, I'm excited. I haven't really gotten to enjoy summer yet. Um, just because I'm still in classes for the next week and a bit. So I'm slowly starting to make more time to get outside, which I'm loving. How are you doing? Oh, I'm pretty good. I have been enjoying the summer, fortunately. But one thing that's been on my mind is I've been struggling with my work time boundaries. You know, it creeps into my family life and I can't get away sometimes. How are you feeling about work time balancing these days? I had a really intense year doing a uh, bachelor program in 11 months um, for this ed degree. And uh, we didn't, we, we didn't really have a break. Like we had two weeks in Christmas and then um, two weeks uh, for spring break. I could go on about this all, all day, but long story short, like we went through exam breaks. Like it was just like, pedal to the metal trying to get this program over with. So I haven't had a lot of time to like have fun this year, unfortunately. Um, and I'm really happy that, that that part of my life is slowly coming back now as I get more outside and go, go paddle boarding and kayaking and biking and stuff. That's some of the stuff I really fell in love with last year that I'd really like to get back into. So it's been it's been hard. It's been really hard, you know. How are how have you been doing with the the staying inside all this year, especially in rain Rancouver? Yeah, over the winter it's tough, but now, you know, I can string together a week and it's like there's a gig that I could go to every night if I wanted to, which is so cool. 
it's crazy how fast it's like relaunched again, right? The music scene. I'm I'm kind of overwhelmed by it as well. I think of you as an extrovert. Would you agree? I would agree with that, but this year, I don't know. It's made me question everything. I I find I'll hang out with someone for about an hour now and I'll feel kind of like, okay, yeah, I had my, like, we're good here. Like, we had a good time. I'm ready to go home and, like, watch some Netflix or whatever. You know, I don't know. Like, I feel like it. it's kind of, I don't know. Like, I, I used to be very binary in that way. Like, yeah, I'm an extrovert. This person's an introvert. And now I feel like everything's kind of melding a little bit. Do you get that too? Do you feel kind of overwhelmed when you see someone now, like, in person? I've always felt 50-50, right down the middle, introvert versus extrovert. Be curious what you think, too, because you've known me for several years at this point. But I mean, I have always identified with parts of both. On one hand, I say that my favorite thing of all about working in music is the time before a gig, during the intermission, and after the gig. But on the (laughs) other hand, I'm very happy to get home after that stuff is done. So I'm not sure, you know. 50-50. 50-50. I, f- I would agree with that with for you. I think um, you're someone who's extremely independent and uh, very self-sufficient and probably values, I would assume, your alone time a lot, but who's also very comfortable in a, in a group setting, I think. Yeah. And then the uncharitable side of it, I guess, is that sometimes I try too hard to like do unnecessary stuff to put myself out there you know sometimes i can fall into that and then sometimes on the introverted side um i'm not willing to go to something that like i would obviously enjoy because i overthink it yeah i don't know it's interesting like i i have a friends who actually feel like um that binary is just like not a thing you know and um I don't know. It's it's interesting. I I've I've kind of learned a lot in the recent years about kind. Of, I don't know. Like I I used to have a very kind of shallow opinion that like oh shy people are are introverted and quickly realized in college that there's many people who um, love socializing and are able to do that very seamlessly and um, easily, but who you know get really exhausted by that, which I thought was kind of interesting. I don't know. It's I. I, I every time that that topic comes up, I'm kind of I, I come at it with a new lens and think, hmm, like you say, like maybe we're all kind of fifty fifty to some degree, you know, and just have different um, different comfort levels. I don't know. You mentioned college, Capilano University. You've had a bit of time to look back on it now. How do you reflect on that period of time right now? I am really proud of myself. I got to be honest. I. Like, I remember being there. I remember first year sitting in um, the first class of, and there were 50 people in the class. And it was like a, uh, I think it was a combo class lecture or something. And I remember there was a professor and he was just writing changes on the board. And I remember just feeling like I don't belong here. Like, I don't know what's going on. You know, despite my um, many adventures in uh, creativity and music in high school, I felt quite behind on my theory. And 
um, I think I was almost kind of embarrassed by that because my dad is a music educator and I kind of felt like I should know more and be more proficient in certain things. So I really, really struggled um, just just with my own um, my own inner saboteur, like just kind of like really couldn't cope with that for a while. And then... I started to realize that um, everyone there had their own unique challenges and their own struggles, like everyone in life, right? And this kind of constructed idea I had that everybody was better than me slowly started to kind of dissipate the more I got to know people and realized like, oh, this person like really um, is an amazing sax player and improviser but like maybe they like they're like me they struggle with a bit of theory or ear training or whatever it is you know and i was able to kind of slowly start to accept my gifts and it it took a long time like i i wouldn't i i would say about maybe midway through fourth year i wasn't worried anymore about like what people thought about me which that's a long time three and a half years to like get to that place right um, but it w- I'm really, I'm really proud of myself looking back on it that I was able to get through. I know for a lot of people, uh, music school can be really, um, maybe deconstructive or, um, maybe challenging in terms of kind of forming your identity. If you're a young person, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Everybody I've talked to from Capilano University's jazz program on this podcast has uh, identified with this theme that you spoke about. So you're absolutely not alone. Yeah, you know, and I wouldn't say it's like anyone's fault or anything. I think it's a mixture of you're a young person. Well, not necessarily like, you know, but like for me, I was a young person kind of trying to find my path and I wasn't even sure like I really wanted to go into film school for a long time I actually applied to two film programs and cap was kind of like my backup and then I was offered a small scholarship so I was like okay let's let's try this out you know and I thought maybe I would drop out after a year I really didn't know and I think what kept me there were my friends I made so many friends that I still am super close to and i'm i'm actually really thankful for the cohort i had it was a very unique cohort i would look at kind of the older kids and the younger kids i mean by cohort not by <laughs> not by age you know and um there was there were of course always gems in you know each cohort but there was something special about our cohort where we really we really supported each other and if i didn't have that i would have not made it honestly, you know, and a lot of those people are the people I still collaborate with, um, that I've just always felt like accepted my zany, weird, you know, experimental self. And I'm very thankful for that. And I, and I would hope that, um, people going into music school would be able to find that as well. So you mentioned the music theory moment at the beginning that made you feel like you weren't ready and you couldn't do this yet. But then you turned it around. You talked about how you grew into it with your cohort. And by the end of it, you felt comfortable. So with that example of the before where you didn't feel comfortable yet in mind, what's a moment 
that it exemplifies how you did end up feeling comfortable? I think a turning point for me was when I got into arranging. Because before that, theory felt so so funny. I, I didn't I did not think this is where we were gonna go with this podcast at all, but I'm loving it. This is amazing. Um before that, theory felt so foreign to me. I didn't understand the practicality of it. I was like kind of like I could hear things in my head. I felt very musical, but like I never really had a process of writing it down. And when I when you start learning theory, it's kind of like it's like language, right? Like when you start learning language, you're like, why how is like learning the 10 different ways to say hello in Spanish going to help me speak Spanish? Like that's not going to we're not going to get very far. But it's only when you start getting later in the process and you start to apply it into different context that it starts to really make sense so when i started arranging oh when did they start? i'm trying to remember i feel like it's definitely third year but there might have been a bit of there was a few opportunities in second year to start doing combo stuff and that's really when things started clicking for me when i started to realize how music could be organized and how i could get an idea from thought to paper and and convey that for other people to read and that's kind of what spawned, like, th- developed into what I did this year, which is a lot of arranging, um, as you mentioned in that beautiful intro. Oh my gosh, you should do that professionally for people. We should hire you to write bios for people. That's amazing. Can I, do you have that written down, actually? Oh yeah, I write them down. I have to. I might have to grab that from you. <laughs> I'm going to do them for other people from now on so you get to see me grow into it. But I was, my heart was beating for that one. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What a great takeaway, man. What a get what a gift. Um yeah, so that's what I kind of spent doing my year on and I've learned so much from that. I love that you mentioned that you were a filmmaker when you were a kid and a younger teenager. What did you learn from that that you still apply? What was that like? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh definitely like organization and time management for sure so now like when i have a project regardless of what context it is it's like great okay let's establish some roles here let's delegate let's figure is there i'm a very i need structure like i'm a very structured person i don't need to be the leader i don't mind being the follower and i don't i will support the leader but there kind of needs to be a bit of a hierarchy for me to function and i don't mind i could be at the bottom of that you know that pyramid i'm happy i just like structure um and i think that's something i learned a lot about in that process was just like in order to make a big project and to coordinate people together there needs to be um some sort of a establishment of process right and i think um as any creative person will quickly realize the more that you have your ducks in a row the easier it is to collaborate in my opinion um and uh i i mean i think i just learned i was such a people's person and i love collaborating with people and i was so honored that i got to collaborate with you on this project and i know that you're like having known you for so many years you're a super collaborator i would call you a super collaborator because you just you just make things happen with people and i think that's so cool and i respect that so much i read that as a teacher you look to connect music education with emotional development and self-expression. What can you say about that? With the age group that I'm primarily working with, which is usually high school students, I mean, can you think of a more like 
transformative time. I don't know. Like, I think that was probably like the biggest place of growth for me, just as in terms of a person or those formative years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think over that lifespan is really when we start to see young children become young adults through finding and you know like i'm not saying like people i'm not saying like people know they want to become fire fire people or uh medical doctors and such at that age i'm just talking about people that are like finding music they like or art they enjoy or like a a hobby or or sports or whatever you know you start to really see them kind of form their identities and that's what i find is so beautiful about that age and being blessed to work in music education with that and helping people find that find something they like and maybe like a new um a new journey to explore in terms of their artistic expression is so exciting for me don't you i mean that feeling of like when you share something to someone and then they love it you get that all the time with high school kids right because everything's new to them right so uh as a teacher that is something i i really um it's kind of my mission statement it's like how can i help people express themselves creatively and find find a you know kind of find a microphone so to speak in whatever language that means for them that's that's really what i'm passionate about doing and i'm i mean i'm not even done my b ed yet so like i'm not <laughs> i don't have like any experience to really go off that besides my practicums but that's really what i'm passionate about right now as a teacher i don't think uh, obviously that anyone's identity would be like fully cemented into stone in high school right like because um i i hope i'm not um betraying like a like a confidence by saying that i i I remember sitting with you and both our families and you sharing that you felt kind of a little bit maybe it's disoriented the right kind of word like out of high school right like just like trying to think because i mean like as a freelancer and the work you do right it's not like it's not on a um there's no job description for that right and i'm it's so beautiful to see you doing what you do now and just going at it full full throttle but that experience of like finding and feeling like you need to be somewhere maybe if that i don't know like i don't want to speak on behalf of your experience there but like I knew the why and I knew this is why I'm doing this because I love to play with these people and ride this wave of creative energy and happiness, right? But I've never really figured out the how. I'm always trying to figure out the how. But the why, I have that clear moment of when I figured it out. So even though that's been constant, I've never really figured out the how exactly. I'm still trying to figure that out every day. Uh, no, that's that's a beautiful way to articulate it. Um, hmm. I've had like I've had moments when I've realized like, oh, I love to perform with people. Like I remember, I remember recording my debut album and feeling like in the studio, like wow, like these are the right people I'm with right now to make this happen. Like these people are 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 so supportive and loving and 
you know, there to help me learn. I remember, you know, teaching at band camp and stuff and like feeling like a lot of things were clicking then um, in high school to become a teacher. But I don't really see myself yet exclusively as one thing. Um, I'm sure as you do as well, you know. And so, I mean, I've had many why moments um, in terms of where I feel like I'm at now with my very, very early, the early stages of my career. Um, I think, though, at the end of the day, it's always about getting to work with people, collaborating with people, learning from people. That's always been a huge thriving force to doing what I love to do. And I mean, like, it's such a privilege to learn from others through through this kind of work, like making music or doing arrangements of other people's works and um, collaborating in that way. So you've done something several times, speaking of these people whom you get to work with, that I've not had the pleasure to do yet. I may at some point, although I have jammed with him. What's it like to play gigs with Alvin Brendan? <laughs> oh, Alvin. Alvin's like my... I, I, I think he would agree with this. I think he's like my jazz brother or jazz husband or whatever it is. Although he cheats on me with a lot of other people, but I'm okay with it. It's an open marriage, you know? Um, <laughs> I here's Here's the thing about Alvin. He is so talented at any genre he can play i haven't seen him do a genre that was like oh yeah he's like faking this hard right like he's so maneuverable and he makes you feel so safe and um sure of yourself and i mean i've always appreciated how he's always been there for me as a friend as a musician as a fellow student, you know, and he's one of these awesome people that I've met in my cohort. Um, and I just feel lucky every time I get to play with him. And there's many people I feel this way um, about as well, but I think because we had that experience of growing together in the CAP program, um, I've always kind of wanted him to be invited as a part of this. Like when I recorded my album and I wanted to have Jody and Craig on it, there was an element of like, I want Alvin to be there as well because he's kind of a part of my growth as well. Everything I've, I've learned from him playing with him, you know? So I am so happy that he works he gets so much work as a as a freelance musician, and I'm so happy for him and such a cheerleader of him. Um, and I just I feel lucky every time I get to play with him. It's always a, a hoot, you know. We've ha- we we laugh so much. We laugh all the time on the on the bandstand, and I I just feel blessed. I I I hope you two get to collaborate more because I mean I think you two are so such meaningful musicians in my life that I think that you two would uh blow up this world inside out you know well thanks for the kind words i mean at the fort langley jazz festival in september i'm gonna be on and then he's coming on with amber immediately after we're gonna share a stage back to back so and i hope something magical happens that you should like transition or something right wouldn't that be i don't know 
You two are so cool. I I just I I I'm such a fan of both of you. What not just your music, but just who you both are as people is you know I don't know. Like I I'm very very conscious about. Uh, the like the the love that we have all together as musicians here right in this in this industry and i really think it's important that in order to make good music we need to be able to connect right and support each other which i think is not not always the case you know I mean, like, I'm not, I don't have, I'm not gonna, I don't have any individuals I'm gonna throw out here or anything, but like, I, you know, like, I just think it's so important to be able to have that connection to make music. Otherwise, it's not gonna be as meaningful, right? You know what? It's not like people come in with bad intentions in 99.9% of cases, but people like, I'm guilty as anybody, uh, overload themselves and then, maybe you can identify with this. I know I get this every week. It's like you commit to a lot of stuff. And then when it comes time to doing those things, you give it your best shot. And then maybe afterwards I'll feel like, Oh, I wish I just had carved out enough space to give this thing the attention that it deserves. And I could have really made it more special. And maybe that's what ends up happening. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. I'm I'm trying more and more to be easy on myself when that kind of a situation happens, when it, we're overbooked. I think it's so important, if there's anything this year has taught us, which is, you know, there's, you know, we shouldn't be hard on ourselves. You know, life is short, damn it. You know, like, being being overbooked and busy and overloaded, like, you know... We're doing what we can, right? And like you say, we're all guilty of certain situations happening where we wish we could have put more energy and our time into something. But I don't know. I think that we shouldn't beat ourselves up for that kind of a thing. I don't know. That's my two cents on that. I really appreciate you saying that because that's something that I struggle with a whole bunch. So I'm going to clip that and like put it on repeat. I'm going to like make it my computer start. Make it your mantra, man. Like seriously, like you can't beat yourself up for that. You know, I mean, I don't know. I get, I get it. I get it. But we need to, we need to cut that, cut that out. What have you learned about what makes an enjoyable, smooth and great regular restaurant jazz gig? (laughs) what makes a smooth okay i was very fortunate to have a reoccurring gig which you came to you were a super fan you were a sweetheart to come come check we gave you the chef's table a couple times you got to show up in your own city right new west come on piva yeah piva restaurant let's name them shout them out they're great right i feel so again lucky because when they started that series they came up to me and the whole process felt like a collaboration and never felt like you're going to be here here's the deal take it or leave it it was always a constant collaboration super transparent and open to ideas and um you know i mean i think we really really felt before the pandemic we really felt taken care of i mean they would just do things like feed us which is like not a common thing you'd think in a restaurant you know like you'd be getting and most of the time that is the case but they they always took really good care of us and they always brought us back which i was really thankful for but the biggest thing that 
to this day, I'm grateful for about that experience of having that weekly gig going on for months and months and months and months was that Alvin and I grew so much from playing that much together that consistently. And what started to happen was that we, I'm ter- I'm, I, I regret this is kind of something, I always hold on to my binder as a clutch, but there were a couple of times where we put that binder away and we put the music away and one of us would just start going and it just became a game of just like, how can we have fun with this? Like, what? How can we make this surprising and innovative for each other, right? And let's let's see if I can make up something on the spot here that Alvin can catch on to, you know. And it just it started to feel like playing catch all of a sudden, right? And again, one of the reasons I love playing with him is just like there was always this sense of safety and, um saying yes to wherever the music was going to go, which, um, you know, is, is hard to get to with certain people. Not, not necessarily because someone's not capable, just on a chemistry level, right? Like a relationship. So I am so grateful for getting that experience to grow with him in those restaurant gigs. And it's kind of spawned um, our next project, which is going to be coming out later this year, um, where we wanted to kind of get some of that recorded um, because we haven't gone to do that, obviously, this year um, had we not set that up. So I'm really excited to be able to uh, bring that to the world soon um, through some recordings we were able to do this summer, which I was really thankful for. I've got a couple of stories that I want to share with the listeners. Let's hear it. Let's go. One is about Piva Restaurant and going to see you there. And the other one is about the song we just put out, Don't Miss Me. Right? I'm excited. First one, when I went to see you and Alvin Brendan on guitar perform at Piva Restaurant in New Westminster, there's something that you guys would always do that just tickled me so much that I always enjoyed. And I would go and hear you multiple times and you would always do this. And I want to describe what this is and why it's so cool to any listeners, whether they're musicians or not. When you play jazz standards, you're basically playing an old song that has been interpreted many different ways and you have to come up with your own rendition of it, your own spin on it, your own arrangement, how it goes. And part of that is deciding how you're going to start the song, so how you're going to set up the singer, right? That's one thing. But also, how you're going to end the song. And at the end of the song, you have to either agree beforehand on how you and your accompanist, you in this case being you, Will, the singer, how you are going to end the song together so that you're on the same page. If you can remember. If, yes. And if then, you can remember <laughs> what you agreed on. <laughs> Which I never do. <laughs> I have absolutely been there where I just blanking and then I am the cause of the so-called train wreck. <laughs> and you're, and if you're the one who s- suggested it, you're going to forget it as well, right? So it's always, yeah, anyway. Oh, yes. I forget my own things, especially because I perform all my own music, right? So it's, nobody, it's nobody's fault but mine if that ends up happening, right? But what you and Alvin do so well, and you do this every time I've seen you perform, is there's this way of ending a song called a turnaround where you can repeat the last little bit of the song and you can like improvise over it and you can kind of just go around and around in circles and play and have fun. 
And then at some point, you have to give each other the side eye and be like, okay, this is how we're getting out of the turnaround. It is now time for me to sing the last lyric and end this song. But there could be like a minute of just improvising around and around together and having fun, stalling the end of the song because you don't want it to end. The turnaround. Yeah. And you do this so well. And I give equal credit to both of you because it has to be that way, right? It has to be a two-person thing to make this turn out so well. But I, I just always thought that was so cool the way that you and Alvin did these super long and winding and fun turnarounds. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you just don't want a song to end. And why should it, right? Uh, I, I remember hearing different recordings of people doing this and thinking like, man, this song is never going to end. It's just going on and on and on. And I love that. You know, I love it when a, when the song is over, but we're still having fun. We're not done with it yet. You know, um, that's hilarious. I love that you brought that up. That's a, uh, that's a beautiful thing that Alvin and I love to share. And you know what? That made me think of something else because you said something really important there, which was credit. I was told once everyone i think has this talk i'm sure you have this talk with somebody it's not the birds and the bees it's the how the hell do i negotiate with a client how much i'm supposed to be paid talk right someone sits you you find a friend someone sits you down and gives you your kind of negotiation strategy if you're lucky if not you figure it out on the fly right i had a friend sit me down and tell me their process of doing that which i will not share here and they told me that I, as the vocalist, the person whose name is on the bill, should be charging more, not, sorry, taking a bigger cut because it's my name as the brand, which I totally understand, especially if you're doing a ticketed show or you've got a whole band behind you or, you know, you have a, a system set up for your, for your, your name, right? When I play with Alvin, and I'll say this at the gig on the microphone, this guy is working harder than I am right now. I can walk out at any time, go to the washroom, get a drink, get a snack. Music is still going to happen, right? I am working the least here on the bandstand. I just, I get to pick the song most of the time. If I'm feeling nice, I'll let Alvin pick something, you know, just kidding. Um... You know, I, I've, in at least in that relationship, I've always been against taking a bigger cut because I've always felt like Alvin is working harder than me as the accompanist, right? And I don't even feel like he's really an accompanist. I feel like he's a collaborator up there, right? So I've always, you know, tried to make sure he has that credit. It's not Will Clements at Piva, right? It's Will and Alvin. And, um, you know, I've always believed in that. Even if I have a trio, you know, um, I really, really make it a point to give everyone in that group the credit that's deserved, which I feel like is a bit strange in our industry. Again, different than like, you know, like a ticketed show, you're, people are coming to see will clements what have you right like i'm talking about more like in these smaller duo 
I totally understand, again, where people come from in terms of if they have a strategy for these kinds of things. And there's you could defend it in any way. Um, but I do, I do, like, you know, I, I, I found that that advice I got was interesting because I, I really quickly realized, like, hmm, I don't know if I agree with that, you know, that that notion of like, there should be one person that's kind of in front of everyone, necessarily all the time, maybe. There's a couple of things I've got on my mind as you're mentioning this. And one of them is like, I would say I'm known as a young independent artist who is overweight business skills relative to other skills i wouldn't even say that i'm good at business i'll just say that like i'm better at it in relative terms to my playing than some other people but um i did not ever have that person and i never got any advice only school of hard knocks all the way and that's why i'm so open about it now because i never had that you know so i think about that a lot yeah, that that is interesting. And I mean, of course, like, everyone's experience is going to be different depending on their, their own experiences of what worked for them and what, you know, what might not work for somebody else. I mean, there's no, with this kind of work, there's no easy way of going about it. You know, this is something to this day, my dad and I always talk about is kind of like, what's our strategy for X, Y, and Z for releasing or for negotiating or for advocating, whatever it is, you know, it's all depending on the time and place and the person, right, of that situation. So there's no like, one size fits all scenario for any of these things. You know what I got so much advice on, though, was the social skills. And just the interpersonal side of it, because man, that's where I needed the advice so much is when I was like, oh, I'm afraid to reach out to this person or I'm afraid to follow up because I haven't heard back about something I need. I've gotten so much, I mean, and other things and music related things and technical things. I've gotten a lot of advice on those things, but the place where I really got advice over the years was on like how to interact with people properly and how to how to represent yourself well, because that's where I needed the most help. That's fascinating. Wow. And for you, that's where you felt like you had the most growth? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've actually talked about this. I did a bit of a deep dive on my experience at CAP on my episode of this podcast with David Blake. And basically what I said was, when I look back on it now, the reason why I feel like I left was because I was socially overwhelmed. I was 17 or 18 years old and I just didn't know how to get along with people yet. And sometimes I was just bad like to deal with. And then sometimes I just didn't know and I couldn't take cues from people and stuff like that. And that just kept adding up. And then in the years following that, I really, you know, with a lot of help from a lot of people, friends and family, I, I figured that out a little bit more and then I got more comfortable. But that was hard back then. I think what you're being so transparent about right now is actually a, a struggle a lot of people have to varying degrees. You know, um, I think that maybe what you're talking about manifests itself very differently for different people. And um, it's almost kind of like a disguise a lot or or disguised a lot of the time in terms of... Um, learning how to interact with people. And I think as musicians, we're, we're interacting with so many different people all at the same time um, that it's you, you kind of realize pretty quickly on, oh, I got to figure this out. Like, I got to figure out how to connect with people, right? Because 
word spreads fast, right? You know? Um, so that's interesting. I, I, uh, I definitely can agree with you that um, when you're a young person, well, again, anybody, but at least for me, when I was a young person, that was something too. I didn't realize maybe that was also a place of growth. And, and at that same time, I think too, learning to collaborate with people as well. And then just to bring it back around and finish this thread, you were talking about like giving people the credit and an equal share in, in your musical ventures when you perform together. I've got two examples of that where I've had to think about it. And I, I would be happy to share to the listeners what I do here um, because I want to stick with these things. I'm happy to be accountable on them. And if you ever see me not doing these two things I'm about to describe, please tell me and I'll correct myself and thank you. One of them, this is kind of nerdy though, is uh, neighboring rights. So these are the royalties that your sound recordings earn, which go to the people who performed on the recording. So all the musicians. And in Canada, it gets dealt with through an organization called ReSound and through their chapter organizations like MROC or MROC and a couple other ones, depending on what province you're in. Um, And you can have your musicians, if you made the recording, as feature performers or non-feature performers. And on my recordings, everybody is always going to be a feature performer. There's never going to be a point where I'm going to select somebody as non-feature when I fill out that form because I want everybody to have that credit at a minimum so that... Because that's really... How can you say, right? Like the kind of music that we make especially, but really pretty much all kinds of music, right? Who are you to say who's a feature and a non-feature performer, right? We're all humans who are doing something together. We're all in the room for the same amount of time, probably, right? Especially if it's recorded live. So everybody's a feature performer in my books. That's one thing. And then the other thing is for live, I mean, I wish I could give comprehensive advice about how to get the most revenue, but I can't because you got to respect the boundaries of the promoters and how they come up with their fee structures and it's just too variable so it's hard to give constant advice of like oh you should charge this right otherwise i would if it weren't for those two problems but uh, once i know how much revenue i'm getting from a gig i will figure out how much money i need to spend to make it really comfortable and so that will often include booking a rehearsal at a space in a convenient location for everybody where there is enough stuff which it's hard to have depending on what kind of home you live in right and how much space you have so i often have to book a rehearsal space and get everybody at least some water or food and beverage during that rehearsal and i may have to uh do some more of that if we're traveling like i used to do with my band right so you kind of have to cut out a little bit of that revenue for hospitality because the most important thing is you want everybody to enjoy, right? You want everybody to come away from it feeling like, oh, that was a great experience. I would happily do it again, at least for me. That's number one. And I will also set aside some for promotion, right? I want to get more people there because again, what's the bottom line that makes it more enjoyable, right? If there's more people there whom we want to share that time with. So once I cut out some hospitality and promotion expenses, I will then distribute the rest of it equally to each performer, including myself, right? So one way you could talk about that cynically is like, oh, well, you are taking a leader size fee and a bigger fee because you're... But I'm spending this money with the intent 
of making the experience better for everybody. And it's my responsibility to take the time to do that because I organized the gig. It would be fine if other people were doing that as well, but I want to save them the time and the effort of having to think about that. I want to think about that for them. So that's why I cut that out first. Totally. And I think that's so beautiful the way you say that, that you wanted to make com- make it comfortable for everyone. Now, full disclosure, I know I said that, you know, I I take an equal cut all the time. I do. I should be honest in saying that if it's a wedding, if it's a <laughs> wedding and I have to go to a meeting and I got to book some rent, some stuff and I'm driving around town and I'm making sure that the bride is happy, you know, because she's thinking about divorcing her husband like on the wedding day, you know, and I'm like running around trying to get the olives in place and like make sure the hors d'oeuvres are out and hot, you know, and then, you know, it's raining. So I got to move everything. And if I'm busting my butt over here trying to make this happen, I will take a booking for specifically and this is and i everyone knows this like for if i have to take time to go to a meeting right that's that's extra time like i consider that gig time right but that's the only circumstance that's the only circumstance i'll ever take a bigger cut and it's not for the brand you know it has nothing to do with me it's only because i had to put extra time into coordinating that and making that happen and get the contracts all sorted out and such but absolutely you know, in any other situation, right? It's like you say, it's like everyone's part of that team, right? And it's about making that team happen and trying to make sure everyone's got their credit for that. I just want to be honest before someone, you know, says, oh, you, you took that one gig, Will, that one gig three years ago for that wedding. You took an extra 50 bucks or whatever. It's like, yeah, because I had to go to two meetings. Anyway. You know how you fit that into this framework that we were just talking about is you are putting your foot out there and you are, somebody has asked you to spend extra time above and beyond working with them and you are taking one for the team and going out there and spending that time to engage with that person. You bet it's taking one for the team. I don't know if any of y'all out there who are listening have had the pleasure of playing for a wedding, which can be fun. It can be super fun. But it's also, you become part of the planning team, right? You become a part of that whole system, whether you're part of it for an hour or a day, you know, it's a, you know, there's a lot of pieces going on, right? So, you know, give, buy a beer for your wedding planner people, like, you know, give them a hug. Those poor people are just sweating all the time. So I asked you what makes a great restaurant gig. So can I also ask you what makes the perfect wedding gig? Food. I'm going <laughs> to say it again. I like to be fed. Um, what makes the perfect wedding gig? Uh, you know, contrary to a restaurant gig, I like to get people dancing a little bit. I've got a, a short story for you. This is not a wedding. This was a debut. I believe it's in the... F- Filipino tradition, gotcha. I, I believe. So we were hired to do this birthday party at Steamworks downtown. And uh, we were hired to do a little set. And then uh, Alvin and um, Emilio Suarez, who was playing uh, bass and cello, they were going to do a little pop set after. And um, we start 
playing and of course it's not a will the joke is it's not a will clements gig unless there's some latin so we're doing uh probably like mashkanada i think it was mashkanada or something and i said i announced okay the song is a little you know it's a little sexy so if you're feeling like you want to come to the dance floor and you know pop it out a little bit you know bring it out bring it on you know or something like that something maybe a little more family friendly i can't remember and um we're going and it's like you know smooth and it's happening and then this um mature couple comes up and they start they were adorable and they're doing this kind of like almost like cha-cha like thing this like ballroom thing and they were like amazing and they were just like hitting it off and doing great and smiling like just smiling and the mom who booked us comes up to me and she said um those are my parents they've been divorced for like four years or are in the process of getting divorced or i don't know it was like some sort of long process and she said i haven't seen them dance together in years and i mean it's kind of weird because again it was like kind of like a you know kind of a sexy song and like kind of like not not maybe as romantic as some people like dream this situation would be but it was like really adorable to see this couple like reunited or reacquainted you know through music and um i think to tie in your question i think like a wedding just has kind of moments like that you know where the family is just having a good time and you know it's all about connecting so i got two more questions for you one of them's kind of musicy and the other one's kind of more family um let's say you're working full-time as a teacher at a school, but you also want your creative life as artist and musician and vocalist, Will Clements. What help do you think you need to make sure that that can still happen? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I'm not in that part of my career yet. So I think for me... This might sound a little preachy, but I think the biggest thing I'm going to need is to know for myself where to set those boundaries of leaving work at work. I've seen teachers throughout my life burn themselves out because they care so much about what they do that it become their hobby and their passions kind of become intertwined with their work. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's beautiful that that happens. But I think for those of us that want to continue our musical careers outside of teaching, it's going to be about what we do to set ourselves up for success. So I can't say there's like a specific service or something that's going to be my magical antidote to that other than I think I'm going to need to know how much I want to invest where with my limited time that I will have. Um, So I'm keeping that in mind because I want to be, you know, um, someone who flourishes in my work. Um, And I I, I want to avoid burnout as much as I can. So I'm keeping my eyes open for that. That's an interesting amount of segue into my last question for you today. Thanks for your time this afternoon, Will. Such interesting, fascinating conversation today. I'm enjoying this so much. 
Me too. And it definitely deserves a follow-up once you've got a few years post-practicums and you're out there teaching, right? We'll have to figure out how that's going. Uh, But I want to end with a question about somebody who has had just an enormous influence on me and is somebody I respect so much and I've had so much love for for the last decade. Um, But it's not even close to the influence that this person would have had on you. Tell me about growing up musically with your dad. Well, full disclosure, my dad is a is a high school band teacher. A lot of the reason that's inspired me to become a music teacher myself. And I'm sure it's no secret that he was your band teacher back in the day at New West Secondary. Um, yeah, I mean, he's the guy who, you know, when I was a kid would put on Jaco Pistorius's The Chicken. And we would just dance all day to that. Or would put on, like, Hungarian Dance Number 5. You know, uh, which was part of his concert band rep. And just, like, I just remember dancing and dancing and dancing. Steely Dan. Um, uh you know uh there was this band i loved called the shuffle demons from toronto that are a sax ensemble um he always just found the coolest wackiest zaniest stuff that i still love to this day and i think a lot of people have these connections maybe with their parents where they really fell in love with music through what their parents gave to them, you know. But in my case, I mean, I had all that, plus I got to see him inspire many, many other people um, as a teacher. And I think that translates so beautifully into how I feel about teaching, which again is, you know, helping people discover new things. And um I feel so blessed to have the dad I do um, and to see him, and I hope this doesn't come across as bizarre, but see him kind of become um, a light for a lot of people. Um, I don't want to say (laughs) a dad for other people because I think that'd be like stepping a boundary a bit. But you know what I mean, knowing that guy. Like, he's just cares so much about wanting to um, be there for people, right? And I mean, it's 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 so inspiring to be able to be a part of that and to call him my dad. You know, um, it's beautiful. So that is beautiful. Thanks, Will. Thanks so much. Thanks, Will. Thanks you so much. <laughs> If you like this podcast, subscribe to get more from wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a five-star review if you can, and tell your friends to find the Rhythm Changes podcast in their app of choice. And if you really like this kind of thing, go to rhythmchanges.ca to learn more about what we do, or visit patreon.com slash rhythmchanges to support us directly. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on the Rhythm Changes podcast. Rhythm Changes is a Chernoff Music production.